I do think Hot Fuzz probably pips it for me. Mm. Just like I don't know, the supporting cast is better in in Hot Fuzz than in Shaun of the Dead, but Shaun of the Dead at the same time, you know, it's it's zombies and it's gore and it's everything else that makes it so good. Yeah. Um yeah, it was just great. Really great. I, I still I would have loved to have seen just a little bit more of Jessica Hines's crew. So like Matt Lucas and and all the others who they bump into halfway through the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be nice to have had like a you know a half hour episode of something just following them to see what their story was. Did you ever watch like the um, the DVD uh, bonus bits where they said what happened to Dylan Moran's character and and the like? No, was, no one ever. Yeah, um, it was do, it was done in like um, comic book style, like his character survives or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Um, and uh, the girl that was in, she was in a witch a witch program, like like basically when she was a child, when she like played played a child witch. Basically, she like ends up surviving and hiding up a tree or something like that. Are you on about Lucy Davis? Is that the one that plays Dylan Moran's love interest? In- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Dawn from the office. And then Jasper yes. Carrot's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Lana. Oh, yeah, I remember she was asked once, why did you change your name from Carrot? And her response was, why do you assume his real name is Carrot? <laughs> so it's so weird seeing Dylan Moran as anything other than Bernard Black. Mm. Like everything I've seen, I mean, he's been this borderline alcoholic arsehole. So for him to this quite bookish guy in Shaun of the Dead, it's quite a departure for him. I'd like to I'd like to ask the masses why Run Fat Boy Run gets a bad rep when I think it's a perfectly good film. It's it's very okay. Like he's not bad, it's not great, it's okay. Serviceable. Sunday a Sunday afternoon film. Yeah. But as someone who loves Simon Pegg, it's not quite that top tier for me. Fair, fair. There we go. There we go. Should we get a cracking? <laughs> Welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping safe out there. Matt Guy here. Hope everyone's having a pleasant time this evening listening to us. Good morning, everyone. Stu here. Gentlemen, are we, are we all good? I mean, it is absolutely freezing out there at the minute. I hope we're, uh, we've all got the heating on in our homes right now. It's minus five last night. Unbelievable, isn't it? I, I can't remember being ever this cold, ever. Might... Well, I'm sure I read that in the week it was the coldest night in 25 years. Christ. Minus, I know it was minus 20 in Scotland uh, a couple of days ago, some parts of Scotland, because I, was, I work in the motor breakdown sector. So <laughs> we were very reliant on like the weather to like depend on our workload, and it was ball-achingly cold up and down the country. So it's just stay indoors, watch films, listen to this podcast, basically. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. I do have a, a side amendment as to why I might sound a little slow and ponderous today. I've got a quick short story to tell you. Ooh. My better, my better half, right, went out today to treat me. She went to a local butcher's. She's a vegetarian. That's important. An important note. She went to go buy me a steak. Yeah. She's whittled it down to buy me a sirloin steak. She's Googled it. I thought, I wouldn't like a ribeye. Too much marbling on it. And I don't like fat on my steak, really. But apart from that, she didn't know what to go for. So she just let the man in the butcher's (laughs) pick. Next thing, and all she did, all she said was, I've spent nine pounds on a steak. Oh, I come home. This steak, I thought somebody had took a saw to my bloody bike saddle. <laughs> Absolutely huge. So I took a picture, which I'll put on the Twitter. I put a 70cl bottle of Jack Daniels next to it, and the steak eclipses it. So I've, I've had that steak for my dinner, and I am feel full, and I'm about to fall asleep. So if I'm a little slow to the uh, on the quips, you know why. Well, he's, he's steak and blowjob day next week, I think. It's, that's it's, March. That's March oh, the fourteenth. I knew it was. Oh, they, that makes sense. I knew it was after Valentine's Day anyway. So, yeah, that's well. There you go. She's just getting preparation ready. <laughs> Maybe it's a four, <laughs> fourteen quid one for that. I know. Can you imagine? It was just wow. uh, sorry for any like vegetarians that might listen to the podcast, but I had to get that out there because it's. I'm. I am full. A, a nine quid steak. So I'm. I'm genuinely quite impressed with that, considering. I think the most I've spent in a shop on a steak might be about a fiver. And you normally get a fair chunk for that as well. Well, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, if you go to a proper butcher's and you go, oh, I want, uh, can I have some uh, mints? Uh, uh, they don't go, oh, how much do you want? Is it how much do you want to spend? They'll go, oh, how, mm. how, many, how many does it feed? And then they know that we're British and we don't have the sensibility. When they go, oh, it's going to be uh, seven quid. Is that all right? Nobody then goes, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> you, just, you just you just you just grin and it. you just grin and bear it, don't you? <laughs> I think, yeah, it's very true. I had a steak in the um. You've been to the the uh, the Crown at Works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the steak there for eighteen quid. The ones in it, I think because there was no prices on the on the thing on the menu that they came over. I mean, this was a, a while ago as well, and it just came over and the bill came at the end eighteen quid for a steak. It was nice and it was big, but I didn't expect that. That, that part of town, that's what you pay for. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if, if you go to a restaurant, like I normally go for the ribeye because I think you get the most flavour in the ribeyes. And if you go for the ribeye, you're generally looking north of 20 quid at a decent place, you know. So Yeah, this was this was yeah. only sirloin as well. This, Ooh, is, this is what I mean. I don't know why this has turned into a food food podcast now. But <laughs> it's um, Luke. I was... Um, I was uh, on a stag do when we went to a steakhouse in uh, Krakow. I had a tomahawk to myself, and it cost eleven pound. And it was it was it was sensational. It was like you could have you could have eaten it and then committed manslaughter with the bone. <laughs> it was literally, it was absolutely huge. <laughs> anyway. I think we could quite easily do a podcast just on steaks. To be honest, Ooh, a bit of tomahawk. I I used to have and. Um, yeah, another one of these things where my um, my nan's sister. So what is that? My great great aunt, I suppose. She used to live in yeah. um, just outside Toronto. And one of the years when she came over, she bought an actual uh, Indian tomahawk over with her to get as a present. And we had <laughs> we had this massive 
proper. T- I don't know how that he got through customs, the nineties, like everything else. But it, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And that's the first time I've thought about that thing for years. I don't know where it is now. My cousin might have it. I'll have to speak to him about it. But yeah, in, foren- in forensics, man, incredible. So we'll get on to the news anyway because <laughs> there is a fair bit to be getting through. Unfortunately, we're going to have to start off with the sad news that Christopher Plummer passed away. He was an actor whose career spanned eight decades from the 50s to the 2020s. He was an actor so damn good that he was brought in to replace another actor after the film had finished recording. He only worked on the reshoots and got Oscar nominated for when he replaced Kevin Spacey in All the Money in the World. He's obviously best known for being Captain Von Trapp. From the Sound of Music, a film he never particularly loved, and I'm very much on his side with that one. But his work continued, and he ended up getting three Oscar nominations in the 2000s. So even though he started in the 50s, he was going strong. He even won an Oscar in 2010 for Beginners. When asked about his retirement, Plummer said, too many people in the world are unhappy with their lot, and then they retire and become vegetables. I think retirement in any profession is death. So I'm determined to keep cracking. And keep cracking he did. In 2019 alone, he released a TV series and three films, including The Incredible Knives Out. And he was acting in a film that was due out this year called Heroes of the Golden Masks. Here is a clip of his Academy Award speech. You're only two years older than me, darling. Where have you been all my life? I have a confession to make. When I first emerged from my mother's womb, I was already rehearsing my Academy thank you speech. (laughs) Well, it was so long ago, mercifully for you, I've forgotten it. But I haven't forgotten who to thank. The Academy, of course, for this extraordinary honor, and my fellow nominees, Kenneth, Nick, Jonah, Dear Max, I'm so proud to be in your company. And of course, I wouldn't be here at all if it went for Michael Mills and his enchanting film, Beginners. And my screen partner, of course, uh, Ewan McGregor, that superb artist, who I would happily share this award with if I had any decency, but I don't. All, all the producers of Olympus Films, especially Leslie Urdang and Miranda de Poncier, uh, all the people at Focus for their tremendous generosity and support, and not to mention my <laughs> little band of uh, agents provocateurs, uh, Lou Pitt and his wife Berta, Carter Cohen, Pippa Markham, Perry Zimmel, who've tried so hard to keep me out of jail. My daughter, Amanda, who always makes me proud. And lastly, my long-suffering wife, Elaine. So, on to the other film and TV news. Big, big week in the old Star Wars. Um, (laughs) After being previously warned of her shit-talking, Lucasfilm finally lost their rag with Gina Carano. They shit-canned her after she compared the plight of the Republicans to that of the Jewish community during the Second World War. (laughs) 
she was previously warned over comments about the LGBTQ plus community and transphobating bollocks. Uh, and then she became one of those stop the count cunts. And now she's just gone full Godwin's law comparing liberals to Nazis. In spite of, you know, actual Nazis supporting the Republican Party. <laughs> it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? I mean, uh, the fact that he, the uh, our Lord and Saviour came out and, and defended her and said, yeah, she's got a right to free speech. And she was warned and they gave her a th- second and third chance. And then she still carried on. It was almost like she she wanted to be sacked. It was too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely in a, a Disney contract as well, bringing the company into disrepute has got to be in there somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, you'd have thought. it doesn't take a genius, does it, to work it out? And I mean, she's been carrying on, ain't she? She's been posting things like she's some kind of martyr. It's ridiculous. Yeah. She's doubled down and she's doing stuff with Ben Shapiro now, which if you want to prove that you're not some shit-posting right-winger, pairing up with Ben Shapiro is not the way to do that. <laughs> And for me, it's not a free speech issue. She's free to say whatever she wants. She's not going to be sent to jail. But what she's not free to do is make her employers look like dickheads. And they took that decision to Canna. So, you know, she she has very much bought it on herself. Yeah, I mean, you know... There's, it's freedom of speech, but there's not freedom of consequences. Is the, is the mm-hmm. moral of the story at the end of the day? I mean, don't get me wrong. Disney uh, aren't exactly shining ethical beacons of hope at the moment with like some of their decisions in terms of you know where they're filming some of their films at present and the plights of some of our Asian friends at the moment. But um, you know, you're a, you're a company like that. You can't rely on an asset that you have you're putting a bad name on on your company just it just doesn't work like that you'd think anyone with an ounce of sense would know that and you know as my as my dad would say those who can't hear must feel and that's exactly what's happened she's been given the boot <laughs> absolutely you do think if if this is another one of these things where her background in mma and she's properly like lost her mind and it's been knocked into a like <laughs> <laughs> like re- well we've talked we've talked about um like wrestler. CTE, yeah, CTE like re- wrestler documentaries before about this kind of thing, and you got to think, how can someone be so braided? Well, not literally in this case, to be doing shit like this and expect to stay in a job. It doesn't make any sense. But on the bright side, everybody's favourite human, Pedro Pascal, no longer has to put up with her bullshit. And speaking of Pedro Pascal, it wouldn't be cage fighting if there wasn't some video game, come film, TV news. And it turns out that Pedro Pascal has been cast as Ethan in the Last of Us series. But a few hours prior, uh, Mahershala Ali had been offered the role, apparently. And as soon as that news broke, they then decided that Pedro Pascal has been announced as being the man for the role. Uh, Bella Ramsey has been cast as Ellie. Uh, Bella Ramsey, we know as the Lady Liana Mormont from Game of Thrones. Like a proper fan favourite in that world, I thought. I don't know a lot about uh, the the whole uh, Last of Us series. I've not played the games to any great depth. But knowing that we've got Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey involved, I'm immediately hooked. Like, I cannot wait to see this series. Joel, not Ethan. Just cor- correct that. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when her casting is spot on, I can see that all day long. It's again... It's going against what I've said myself on here before, where you have to kind of separate the properties from being a game to being a film to being a series. And obviously it's not going to look the same 
Um, but he's great in everything, so I've got no fear that he'll be great in this as well. He's just, I don't see my only thing about it was him being rugged and kind of weary. You don't kind of get that from what you, what you generally see of him. So, but obviously he's going to be able to do it because he's amazing. So, yeah, no worries now. I mean, I've never played. Um, I've never played The Last of Us. I've only heard like fantastic things about it. Um, and I think it's one of those. It's one of those games where it really will be unforgivable if they get it wrong, because the people that are into it are really bloody into it. So. I just think it's one of those they have to get it right or it will be one of those cult films for all the wrong reasons. I mean, the only good thing about it is the writer of the game is writing the series. So. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, it's another piece of news that um, Andy's going to bring up, but I hope, I hope it's something similar to what we're going to bring up a little later. Uh, in other video game news, Elo Roth has had added Jamie Lee Curtis to his Borderlands movie. I've not given that that game at any time of day. I know nothing about it. Matt, have you de- delved into that world? Uh, all, all too much, mate. Let me tell you, <laughs> I've, I've played the game to death. It's it, it's sensational. I, honestly, it really is. So there was a game called Thirteen back in the day, which was um, like the start of this cell shading kind of game, and then um, Borderlands came along. So visually, it's very. Um, it's very like high, different ends of the spectrum. It's very colourful and in a comic book style, um, and it is uncensored gore. Um, it, it was originally marketed as like having a bazillion gun variants in it, so it's like it just spawns guns with different attachments and different like mm-hmm. weapon add-ons and stuff like that. The humour's really like adult as well. Um, just a really, really excellent game. Very, very funny and witty as well. I know that Jack Black has been cast as Claptrap in it today, I think, <laughs> um, which is one of the robots in it, like a, a quick-talking, witty robot. Um, and my, my wish for the game, basically, it, it already is Mad Max Fury Road meets Chappie. That's, that, that's basically <laughs> right. Borderlands, and that's what this film just needs to be. It just needs to be Mad Max Fury Road with robots. That's all it has to be. That's that's all it has to do to be a success. Um, and if you can just follow that simple formula, it will be brilliant. Yeah, I've played Tales from the Borderlands, which again, it's a, it's not by them, but it's the same universe. It's, it's made in the same kind of comic vein, and that's all what I really want from it as well. It can't take itself itself too seriously, and I don't think it would anyway. Um, but I ain't know about the Jack Black thing, but that that is perfect. It is. It is. It, like it's. Um, it sums it up really, really well. Um, I just think that um, there's so much they can do with it, and it can be. It can be as crazy. It, what was the name of that? Um, what was the name of that film? Hardcore Henry was it? Yeah. Uh, it, it can be as wild as that, and it will just fit into that world perfectly. Oh, superb! I loved Hardcore Henry. So if it's of that ilk, then mm-hmm. yeah, I'll definitely being on that does it make any sense that you can even watch that film and yet you can't play first person games yeah it's something about the games i don't know if it's because like you're actively involved in the game that it just sends my head haywire and makes me feel sick whereas with game so with a film you're watching the film you're not part of it like you are with the game that's the only explanation i can have because i just don't get it otherwise it's weird 
Although that said, I remember when I went to see the Blair Witch Project. Uh, I saw it at the cinema and I, I felt sick as fuck, like halfway through it. The movement of the camera was just too much and I felt like I thought I was going to vomit at one point. It was horrible. You should play the Blair Witch game now. See, <laughs> double down, honey. Uh, we've seen the first images of the second incarnation of Jared Leto's Joker from Snyder's Justice League. It looks like they're leaning into the 2005 animated series The Batman and Frank Miller's All-Star Batman and Robin. Obviously, there's nothing really to tell from these images, but Stu, early thoughts and opinions on what it looks like? So much better. So much better than it was before. And yeah. I mean, that's not, I mean, my open hatred of a lot of them, the appearances in that film. But yeah, encouraging. When, I, when, you, um, when you brought it up at the, um, the picture of uh, Darkseid earlier, was it Darkseid that you put up? Darkseid. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you put yeah. that, that image up in the group chat, and I, I thought that the film was out, and I'd been flummoxed by that I hadn't seen it come out, and I, I was worrying. And then it's March, middle of March. I had to, yeah. to double check. Eighteenth, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, still no release over here. So wrong times mm-hmm. that we're going to have to do to get to get to watch that. But yeah, encouraging. It's it's just going to be better eh, than, than what we have at the minute. So everything about that film looks better than what we had. So it's just another one of them. Yeah. Matt, are you a fan of Jared, Jared Leto, generally speaking? or I mean, musically is how I knew him before his acting credentials. Um, 30 Seconds to Mars are like, they're always your girlfriend's favourite band, <laughs> therefore, you don't, therefore you don't like them just by proxy. Um, and it takes a really good band to still fit that mantra and still be okay kill switch engage being one of them um but i mean he's not a bad actor at all i mean you know dallas buyers club sensational i thought he was yeah um you know what his biggest crime was with his original portrayal of the joker his biggest crime is trying you know if you're anything like ledger nicholson or phoenix now you're just a cheap imitation. So you you try and go the other way and you mm. almost made him like celebrity joker. Like, I don't know how you describe him, but it was just, it was just too much of an extreme. And I know that's a, a weird thing to say about the joker, but it was just too much of trying to be a different joker. I felt like, I, I, I don't know the actor's name, so it's, apologies, but in the TV series of Gotham, he had it really, really spot on. There's a few oh, yeah. jokers in there, even though it's not the joker for licensing mm-hmm. reasons, I think. But there was a yeah. few different like variations of the Joker in that. And he had it down to a T. It was like an amalgamation of the different Jokers that we'd seen up to that point. And it, we just want to see this sadistic, maniacal, sometimes anarchy-driven, sometimes has a heart Joker. And there's no need to take it so left field just because you're in Suicide Squad. I just felt like the biggest crime was trying to change it up too much. Um, And with this, it just looked like it's going to be a stripped back down to like, down to the bare bones, sadistic, evil, dark Joker. And that's what, that's just all you want. It doesn't, it's not a rocket science. People are going to love it regardless. There's no need to take it Mm. to like such lengths. We're on a bit of a rant there. (laughs) You're basically, you're basically just describing Mark Hamill, which is what we can all get on board with, but. Well, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know 
I'm something of an apologist for the Suicide Squad. It's a bad film, but I've I've, I've said before, I think a good editor could have made a passable movie out of it. Mm-hmm. And from everything I've heard about um, Jared Leto's Joker, like at least half of what he filmed ended up on the cushion room floor. So I feel like we kind of got shortchanged on him. The trailer. Like, we, we're missing so much. The original trailer when he he does that weird laugh and then he goes, oh, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm just going to hurt you really, really bad. Mm. That was like boner inducing. That was like what I wanted. Do you know what I mean? That was like the like the tor- like the torturous psychotic, and, and I just it just it just wasn't it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. As soon as they put Eminem over the top of a montage sequence for no reason at all, I thought, oh, fuck this film. And I, I've still ne- never seen it. I've never seen it since. I, I, I was actually angry because <laughs> I thought you're just trying too hard to be more MCU like compared to the other the other DC films for no reason. You're just trying too hard. What, I'd love to. I would love it if the next one is along the same lines or feel as um, as Birds of Prey, because I love that. I think that film was class. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Perfectly pitched. That was really well made. And I, yeah, I agree. I think if they follow that tone, where it's not too comic, because I mean that's what pisses me off with the MCU, is the their version of comedy is snark. Everything's just snarky. I, I don't want that. I want a different flavour. And I feel that the DC Universe has got that in its locker, just waiting for it to be released. And, yeah, I think I could see the Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey being a similar type of film. Fingers crossed. I mean, from the um, from the fan the fandom event last year, the new the new Suicide Squad or whatever it's going to be called in the end looks ten times better. It looks like they get it now. Yeah, it does look good. Is that with Cena as Peacemaker? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that a, I thought that was a game, not a. Are they making a game first, and then they're making a game as well? Uh, is it the Suicide Squad versus the Justice League? I think the game. Yeah. I haven't heard much about that since that DC fandom. But yeah, the the film, the next film looks good, and it's James Gunn, so I, I would be very surprised if it ends up shit in the bed. Right. As long as the uh, the studios stay out of the way and let them make the film they want to make. I have all the faith in the world in that man. I think he's a top, top director. If we head over to the MCU now, Tom Holland is saying that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire will not be starring in Spider-Man 3. Now, Holland, on several occasions, has let slip uh, other spoilers throughout his films. So do you think maybe the Marvel Studios have just not told him yeah. that they're going to be in the film? <laughs> so ruin it. They're not telling him anything, are they? He openly said last time where that they didn't even tell him anything apart from his own lines because he can't behave. Because he's just like an excited child all the time. So <laughs> I think that's exactly what it is. It's We yeah. all know what the film's going to be, uh, following on from um, Multiverse of Madness, if that is the title, um, of Doctor Strange 2. So he can say this all he likes, but we know the truth. <laughs> we know what it's about. <laughs> it's a wise move, really. <laughs> uh, the film Bullet Train has added Sandra Bullock to their already stellar-looking cast. She's joining Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Zazie Beetz, Joey King, Michael Shannon and Brad Pitt. That's a fucking hell of a cast for a movie, isn't it? I mean, that's up there with like Knives Out level of goodness. I'm quite looking forward to that. We haven't really spoke much about Sandra on this podcast before. Um, what are our thoughts about Miss Bullock? 
Mm. Are we a fan? I mean, uh, it's very, very, very meh. Really, she was she was pretty good in Gravity. I seem to recall. Mm. Bird Box was I thought was going to be a bit of like bringing her to the forefront again. Um, it's, uh, yeah, no, not no no strong feelings either way. This was a net promoter score. Should be a six. She's just she's never she's never bad in anything that I can think of. She's just she's just a, a solid seven out of ten. In most things, I mean, I, I'm trying mm. to. I mean, I like Bird Box more than most people did. I don't know why, but that it was really, really good, and she was great in that. But that was the first thing I'd seen her in, apart from Gravity, for years. So, yeah, she's fine. If you want, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I don't think she's a bad actor. I don't think she's great. You know, she's she's the female Tom Hanks. <laughs> always just oh, like over level. No, always Andy. fine. Always Come fine. On. <laughs> Although she is great in Miss Congeniality, which is a fucking hell of a film. The sequel, not so much, but first one's class. Uh, the Wizard of Oz film has now got a director, Nicole Cassell. She's known for work on TV shows, um, Watchmen, Castle Rock, Westworld, The Leftovers. Looking at most of her stuff on IMDb, it's stuff that's very much tougher going deep dramas. So not the name I would have like thought would go for something like Wizard of Oz. Obviously, Wizard of Oz is a classic. Is it an untouchable classic or is it one that is probably due for reimagining? I mean, we've had a few where they've gone back into that world, but none where we've had a direct remake of the... I can't even remember the year. Was it, th- it was 30s or 40s, wasn't it, if I remember correctly? I think I think the best thing that could have happened for... The Wizard of Oz, if there's a remake, it's the fact that no one will touch Johnny Depp at the moment. Because yeah. he would be... I mean, thank God this wasn't made around the time that Ch- the, the Child in the Chocolate Factory remake was done, because he would be the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and they'd make him really over the top and, that, and he'd ruin it. Um, I just think that it's nothing's untouchable now. There, there is no sanctity anymore. So, you know, nothing's untouchable. Uh, it's never going to have the same impact. So... Turn it dark, turn it, mm. turn it that way. Just like the, just like the director of choice. To be honest, um, you you can get away with so much before something rated even a fifteen these days. Anyway, so just go that way with it. People are going to watch it regardless by name. Anyway, so you might as well might as well roll the dice. I don't like the Wizard of Oz. Anyway, <laughs> it's no, it's sacrilege to even say that. But I just it's just a bad wank. Just shit. I was just, I've never liked it. I've never liked it. The only thing I liked was a, a kind of a, a darker reimagining of it with um, an old friend Vincent Nofrio a few years ago. Called I can't even remember what it was called, but he was the Wizard of Oz, and he, that was dark as fuck, and that was great. Um, was that the Oz the Great and Powerful? Yeah, my, it, no, it, was it? I can't. It was one of them that because that was a remake with James Franco. Oh, James Franco was the wizard in that one. I can't remember the one with Vincent D'Onofrio. I don't know one. No one heard of it anyway. No, everyone I spoke to about it, it's like it never existed. All <laughs> oh, right, so you're just making up films now. Aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Emerald City. Emerald City. Yeah, that's the one. Again, one. I don't even remember that. No, one season. It was just. It was. Again, 18 rated TV show. Fucking hell, no Woodridge when he got one season, it wasn't given a chance. I'm looking through the Jolly Richardson again in that as well. 
been excellent as always. Yeah, apart from them two, I can't remember anyone else that I knew that was in it. It was a nice idea, but it just obviously it was too niche and it never caught on, and no one's even heard of it. So, uh, and finally, Super Bowl this last week, which of course meant we got the Super Bowl ads. A first look at Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, it looks like another stunning piece from Disney. Like the actual animation on it is outstanding. A new look at Fast Nine. Jesus Christ, I mean, the last trailer looked batshit crazy and they've just turned it up even more in this one. And there was a new trailer for M. Night Shyamalan's film called Old. It didn't tell you much, but i got to say, it looked quite interesting, that did, I thought. Yeah, that was the only one, obviously because of my no trailer rule. Um, when there was things on that I knew what they were, I turned away straight mm. away. Um, but that one, Old and... Um, well, I presume we're going to come on to um, some of the parody trailers as well that we had for other things, um, starring Mike Myers. But yeah, yeah, old looks really good. I don't think we, we, it's another one that we don't really talk about. M. Night Shyamalan on here very often, and his his early stuff was really good. Then he lost his way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think. Unbreakable, I think, is an excellent film, massively underrated. I think it's better than Sixth Sense, but people sort of, because of the films that came after it, people sort of say he only did the Sixth Sense and ignore everything else. But I think that's very harsh on him. He's got some half-decent ideas, but they've not always been excellently executed. Matt, did you see anything in the Super Bowl trailers that uh, no, piqued your interest? No, not really. I mean, Super Bowl, American football in general, does nothing for me, really. So <laughs> I never I never paid any mind to uh, to Super Bowl. I, all I know is the weekend spent $7 million of his own money, apparently, <laughs> for the show. That's all I know. The only thing that interests me about the Super Bowl is if they ever bring back that halftime heat or whatever they called it when Rock and Mankind <laughs> fought in an empty <laughs> arena. That's the only thing that will pique my interest. Yeah, that that was great. Uh, the Bob Odenkirk action comedy, Nobody, as well. That looked quite good. I, I do like Bob Odenkirk, though, so sort of a bit biased on that one. So that's the news for the week. Matthew, have we had any listener questions in? Uh, of course we have. Of course we have. We have very loyal listeners who send us in questions, so we're going to go through a few of those. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, first of all, Andrew Wright wants to know, Thank you for getting in touch, Andrew Wright. If you had to rob a bank and could have a crew of three or more people from different heist movies to help, who would you choose? I'd just have the crew from Trapped in Paradise. Just, <laughs> oh just cause if... You'd kill Dana Carvey, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no way you could put up with it. You've them. got someone to sacrifice there who can just take all the heat and then you can get away with it. Mix them in with with the um, a couple of people from Ocean's Eleven for a bit of suave and cool, and that's then you're done for. It's a great team. Up. Good one. Ando? Um. Okay, so you'd need you'd need a driver. Obviously, you need a getaway driver. So you're gonna have Baby from Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Um. I think if I think you need a femme fatale, you need your seducer, your femme fatale, and then you need your um. You need your, you know, you need your bag man. You need your, your man who goes in there waving the guns and mind your heist. Heist different, isn't it? You need like cunning, don't you? You need like yeah. trickery. 
See, I was thinking you need someone who's going to get into small spaces and maybe hide out for a few days if needs be. Ant-Man, that's who you need. <laughs> he can get in there. No one will see him. And then he can come oh, out. I thought you were going down like the boy in striped pyjamas route then. I thought I think it was, it was a different oh, no. kind of thing. <laughs> it's a little bit different, yeah. And the third man, there's only one, and it's Jason Statham. And not even one of his characters. I want actual Jason <laughs> Statham. So that way he can just channel his inner lock, stock and snatch. Nice. And um, what's the other film we did? Uh, obviously the Fast and Furious when he was Deckard. Yeah. He's an all-rounder. He's who you need. You need a bit of the stuff. Why have you not mentioned Transporter in all of them? Oh, God, yeah, Transporter. He's got some absolute belters out there. <laughs> Love Statham. I'm telling you, the world, when we're done with K, it's just what we're doing, isn't it? Chasing Statham. That was what we were trans- <laughs> transitioned to. <laughs> uh, David Evans wants to know, which musicals yet to be adapted for the silver screen should be and which films could have a great musical version? Oh. So I'd I'd love to see now, Andy. We've discussed your incorrect opinion about Bohemian Rhapsody before, but I would love to see a film adaptation of Twentieth Century Boy, which was a show about Mark Bolan in T Rex as a film. I think that'd be okay. Uh, that'd be incredible. Really. I, I like T Rex. I'd be up for seeing that. And it's good and because it you, couldn't you, be you any don't... worse than Bo Rap. So, because <laughs> and the thing is, like, they'd have to like be. They'd have to be like clever with a casting because Barry fit, Barry would be in it quite heavily, mm. um, and yeah, I think I think that'd be excellent. Why do you hate Bohemian Rhapsody for? Oh, it's such a bad film. It's so badly made. It doesn't make sense. It's massively historically inaccurate. It doesn't it's matter. A shit all round film. It's not well made, and how he won the Oscar for Best Actor (laughs) is awful. I don't particularly like when actors win the Oscar for doing an impersonation. That just does nothing for me if you're just doing an impersonation of someone. Well done. I mean, Rory fucking Bremner (laughs) can do that. It's not like Alistair McGowan, though. (laughs) But it is. It's that level, isn't it? Yeah, but what's not? That's not worthy of winning an Oscar, in my opinion. What about um, Jamie Foxx? Did he win an Oscar? Yeah, he was he was good as Ray. Yeah, he was good. That's not Oscar worthy. Because you're just being you're just being someone who already existed. You're not bringing yourself to a role and inhabiting a character. You're just pretending to be a figure who's already known. And it, it just doesn't. Like I don't get me wrong. I don't think he's bad at being Freddie Mercury, but he's just being Freddie Mercury. What we've so what, what we've le- what we've learned here is Stu hates people. That are vertically challenged in Munchkins, and Andy hates people with AIDS. So we'll yeah. move on to the next question. <laughs> what, one thing, there's been no mention at all yet again of the Tina Turner musical, which I desperately want to see, and no one ever talks about it. No one's going to see it, and it's not going to be adapted to the film, is it, ever? But what? I don't even know no, what don't musical about, right? this is. It's called the Tina Turner musical. That's what else do you need? Hang on. <laughs> I, this is one of my fever dreams. It is, hang on. Let's have a look. Tina Turner. Have you been going to the spoons and drinking the water to clean the lines or something, Stu? Yeah, here we are. <laughs> Tina, the Tina Turner musical. We'll return. Oh, Aldridge Theatre, 3rd of June. The, the Aldridge Theatre is the level we're thinking <laughs> Aldridge Theatre. I don't know what the Aldridge Theatre is, but it doesn't matter. Tina Turner. It's in Warsaw, I'm imagining. <laughs> 
Charing, it's in Charing Cross. Well, fucking Tina, yeah. the musical. Look at that. Again, wow. For our audio simply, listeners. Simply the best. Anyway, Richard Hobbs wants to know, what is the most average film you've ever seen? Not a terrible film or one that could have been good with a bit of adapting. Just a horribly bog-standard film by numbers. That's such a difficult question because I, I, I've always said I would rather see a good film or a terrible film. If anything's in the middle, I'll just instantly forget it. Mm. So I, the, the one that springs to mind would be... Can oh is he? Can you see? Oh no, um, the one with the magicians. Uh, now you see no. Now you see me. Yeah. Now you see me too. That one, like I, I couldn't tell you anything that happened in it, and I've seen it at least twice. Mm. Like it's just meh. And I'd also say ninety percent of anything that anyone who was in Friends has done <laughs> for for about a decade after the end of that show, everything they did was just. There, that's like a, that's, no that surprises me. That does because what was the one he was in with Simon Pegg? I quite like that. Um, uh, Big Nothing, yeah, I quite like that. Uh, didn't do it for me. I think, did he direct that? I oh, know he directed Run Fat Boy Run, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan. That was cack. I mean, Jennifer Aniston is the most MOR actor who has ever lived. She's sort of had a little bit of a pickup over the last few years with the. Oh, uh, Meet the Millers, Meet was the it? Millers, I mean, yeah. But, I mean, that's because Jason Sudeikis is in it, and I do like him, I suppose, is in a reason. So, But, yeah, anything with the Friends casting is generally just average. Okay. When there was, what about the... Oh, what was it called? It was like a, a, a 2012-ish, 13, 14, something like that. It was a film that I'd, n- I'd never heard the property of. It was like a, a, just a random bloke's name, and it was like set on Mars or something. And it looked really cool from the trailer, and it just ended up just being really boring. Um, John something. John Carter. Oh, John Carter from Mars. Yeah. That's, oh, it's a remake of John Carter from Mars. That, yeah, that film. Yeah. It was just very... You know, it was in, in a time when I used to watch trailers, or it was in the cinema, and I'd, I'd been flummoxed again. Um, but I was really excited for that, and I went to watch it, and it was just nothing. That, it was just boring. Now, how can you get something like that be boring? Just, just terrible. But again, it, the original supposed to be better. Yeah, it, it wasn't shit enough to moan about, but it wasn't good enough to pray. So I think this is exactly what Rich wants: go and watch John Carter to be bored. <laughs> uh, and finally, the only podcast in history that has more bald people on it than this podcast, mainly because us three are on that podcast as well. Uh, Wolves Fancast wants to know who is the worst Avenger and why. Um, oh, I tell you who, Bucky. What? Bucky Barnes is such a non-entity of a character. He is basically just irrelevant because he's half Captain America, half Falcon, and we've got both of those characters already. So what's the point in having Bucky? But it's not his Fuck fault. Fuck the Winter Soldier off. He's irrelevant. It's not his fault that he's been he was tampered with. He could have been great before that. You don't know. We'll find out in a month, won't we? When um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier starts on Disney Plus, there's your plug. Well, how is it not Hawkeye? He's got a bow and arrow. What's that doing? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you look at everyone else. Everyone else has got a, a legitimate 21st century skill, and he's got a bow and arrow. I mean, come on. And he's a twat well, as well. It's gone full circle <laughs> yeah. now, though, because that's all That's all the rage now. Bow and arrows, axe throwing, all that. It's all the rage <laughs> now. 
He's just got a, you know, he's got a long-standing business model. If he ever wants to go down, you know, the self-employed route. <laughs> but those are the questions for this week. So as always, thank you for getting your questions in. Nothing is off the table with these questions. So get them in. It was nice to see um, a new listener send um, a question in as well. So if you send one to us, they will get answered. So thank you very much. Super. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, so on to the first question. What you been watching? Stu? Interesting week this week. Um, well, last two weeks. Staying on my, my theme of, of um, social justice films and documentaries, I watched When They See Us, which is a four-part um, dramatisation of a story of four um, black kids in America who were, five black kids in America who were framed um, for a brutal rape and attempted murder. And it's just absolutely horrendous from start to finish. I mean, everyone's I mean, seeing Joshua Jackson and he kind of threw me away for, as one of the the um, attorneys was a bit of a throwaway. But um, other than that, superb performances all around. It's just really, really excellent. And another one of them things where it's two years old now and no one, I'd never really heard anyone talk about it before. I think Nate recommended it to me to watch. And he went well. If you if you think America's this fucked, then watch this one. And it was another one of them of, yeah, the police in America at a certain period of time were terrible. Uh, to a certain, it's to a, absolutely outstanding, isn't it? Like I, I I saw it. I think I saw it when it first came out. Um, and the kid who. So basically, halfway through the film, they turn from kids to adults. Uh, from the show, they turn from kids to adults, apart from one kid who stays exactly the same throughout. Because in he was the only one who was tried as an adult, whereas all the others were tried as juveniles and then became adults. He was already deemed an adult, even though he was the same age. That guy was absolutely incredible. That's one of the best performances I've seen from anybody in anything. I'm sure he was nominated for a Golden Globe or something like that off the back of it, and he was thoroughly deserving of it. He was tremendous. Yeah, he said he went into the interview um, and shaved his beard off or something so he could prove that he could do both roles. And I thought, well, fair, fair foxy man, you, you've gone the, yeah. the extra mile. And like you say, it's just it's one of them. It's on Netflix. Just go and watch it. I think it's it's not even... I think there's three hour and fifteen minute episodes, and the last one's hour and a half. So it's a it's a a bit of a time sink for what it is, but it's well worth it. Um, but the other one, on a lighter note, was crime scene: the vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Again, four part four part documentary Netflix. It came out this week. Fucking crazy! Just <laughs> just mental batshit nonsense again. Of I've got that on the uh, the watch list this weekend coming, so I'm quite looking forward to it. Yeah, it's just it's <laughs> it, it's they've got the formula now set down, aren't they? That with these things where you leave people hanging for how much how more insane things can possibly get, and that's what happens mm. with that. Again, four parts Netflix, great. Okay, super. Matt, what have you been watching, mate? What haven't I been watching? This has like been a really rare couple of weeks for me. We've actually watched loads and not played as much Xbox, which is, never happens. Mm-hmm. So first of all, uh, let's get the best thing out of the way first. Um, Married at First Sight Australia is probably <laughs> um, it's 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 sensational television, and I won't be told otherwise. Um, I finished The Mandalorian. 
uh, at long last, and I'm way behind the rest of the world. Uh, I mean, it was just excellent. There's not there's not many more things I can say about it, um, apart from the fact it's a bit formulaic. Every episode's the same, just in different settings. Um, but it's still, it's still, it was just excellent television. Like, I, it's one of those things that, like, me and the wife don't click on a lot of shows, but we will both be like counting down for when the Mandalorian starts again, and we'll watch it together. And it was, and it was excellent. Um, I watched Game Night on Netflix uh, with Jason Bateman, um, and I didn't have a lot of hope going into it, just because it's a film like I'd never heard of, and the premise sounded a bit off i just but it's jason bateman it's going to be good he's just an ex he's just he's a solid eight out of ten in like nearly everything he's in even like he even got a good performance out of paul the film paul which was <laughs> not fantastic um, i don't hear a bad word about that film <laughs> um and yeah it was really good i really enjoyed it it was um it ended up being more original than i give it a lot of credit for mm-hmm. um and I can't remember the guy's name. Apologies. He was in. He was in Breaking Bad. He ended. Up, he plays a policeman in it who's like really deadpan. Um, he um, he he absolutely stole the show um, as the guy. As well, I don't want to say. Don't want to give a spoiler anyway. But he he was sensational. Um, and the, the the biggest watch, and I put it out on the Twitter, um, was Peanut Butter Falcon. Honestly, I haven't been touched by a film in absolutely ages like this it was it was brilliant now the way i sold it to people when i've been talking about it i've made it sound like it's just one of my kind of films as in <laughs> a guy goes to find a guy you know a, a, a down syndrome kid leaves a care home to fulfill his dream as a wrestler so automatically it's turned <laughs> people off it but it's not and i quote this is breaking news my mum's just finished watching it she's texted me ah four w's <laughs> That film was really good. That saltwater fellow was out of Georgia of the Jungle. There you go. <laughs> five, five stars, Amazon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, um, Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, it was so, it was so good. It was so sweet. It hit all the right spots. It's funny. It's emotional. Um, it was just a really great film. I, I really urge people to watch it. Yeah, that's that's one of the films I watched in the last fortnight as well. Oddly enough, it's. The bit where um, Zach got Sagunis talking to Shia LaBeouf's character and he says that he's going to be the bad guy in wrestling, he's going to be the heel. Mm-hmm. And Shia LaBeouf was like, no, no, you've got a good heart, you're a good person, you're a hero. And he said, I've got Down syndrome, I can't be a hero. Yeah. My, I was in fucking tears. Right, I was like, yeah. that is just, yeah. For me, for like, me really the, good movie. The bit, that, the bit that got me, it's really early into the film, really, so it's not giving away too much. Um he realizes that he's on the run, Shia LaBeouf's character. So he says, "Oh, we're both outlaws now. Like now we've got a now we've got mm. a bond." And they did; they really had a bond. It was just, um, oh, sensational! Really, really great. Yeah, definitely. In real world, obviously, you both know it's been just over a fortnight since we last did a question cast. In that time, I've watched twenty-two films. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only gonna like single out like one low light and a few highlights of uh, of my time in front of the TV. So the low light is the prom. I mean, I love stupid, over the top, campy musicals, and I love Ryan Murphy. So this this should speak to me. But I tell you what, I fucking hate James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> this is honestly. Outrageous. 
he isn't, he's not a good enough singer to pull off a leading man. We're supposed to buy that he is a West End star and things have just gone a bit wrong for him. But at no point do you ever believe in him because he's not that talented. It's really not his thing. And like, I don't know to come across all righteous, but like, are we not beyond having straight males playing gay over the top characters at this point? I just... It, oh, I found it really horrible. I kept shouting fuck off at the TV whenever he was on, which really spoiled the flow of the film. I mean, I, I, when I when I saw this film, I I thought this is Andy all over. This is he's gonna he's gonna love this. I mean, right, let's just get it right as well. Roy Murphy is a very gay man, so it's not stereotyping putting someone a straight guy in that role. He knows exactly what he's doing, and I mean, I, I, I thought it was hilarious. I loved it. For, for, I, just, I, but with it. I think James Corden being famous anyway is a mystery to everyone in the real world, let alone yeah. <laughs> being, <laughs> That's very true. Un- unbelievably bad at singing. But yeah, this one, I was shocked at this, this revelation. Well, like I said, this is a film that it ticks all of my boxes. And then when it actually comes to, to watching it, hated it. it. It could have been, had it not been for Corden, Kidman and Meryl Streep, Meryl fucking Streep is bad in this film. That's how off-key it is. Had it not been for those three, it could have been a fun but forgettable teen comedy about acceptance and love. But it wasn't. And now James Corden has got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Leading Actor. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck it. Awful. Anyway, the highlights... Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. It is what I believe is Chadwick Boseman's final performance on screen. Um, and it's Oscar worthy. Like the final images you will see of Chadwick Boseman in this film. They are powerful. They are poignant. They are moving. They really leave an impact on you. If for no other reason than he deserves all the eyes on him, watch it for Chadwick. But, um, Violet Davis, who plays Ma Rainey as well, she's superb. I think the pair of them will probably get Oscar nominated, to be perfectly honest. I watched a film called Saint Maud. Obviously, I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, I'm a big fan of Ari Aster's work. And Saint Maud gave me those feelings. It's a British set film about a palliative nurse and her relationship with religion. Except you're never really sure if she's talking to an angel or a demon. It's really eerie, creepy. There's this horrible sense of malevolence behind it all. I properly enjoyed it. It's superb. Um, The Invisible Man, I watched. I love Elizabeth Moss. I think she's superb. This is a really good modern day telling of a classic story. Basically, she escapes her abusive husband at the start of the film. He dies and leaves her money, but then she believes she's been stalked by him even though we believe him to be dead. Had I have seen this film last year when it was released, it probably would have gone into my top five. It's really, really good. And the final one I want to mention is a film called Wolf Walkers, which our friend Nate Hughes uh, mentioned to us on the Twitter. This is a beautifully animated film. It's full of magic and wonder and heart. It's about a young English girl who moves to Ireland as her father is a hunter helping protect Oliver Cromwell. Um, And it's during the invasion of Ireland. Whilst there, this young girl befriends a magical kid from the forest 
I don't get into too many details, but the, the title's Wolf Walkers for a reason. It's got a critic score of 99 on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's got an audience score of 100. It's damn good. It's well worth your time. Probably Apple TV's second best thing ever so far. Have you got? Have you seen it now? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it when they when they mentioned it weeks ago. But oh, okay, I didn't realize. After um, after Ted Lasso, obviously. But yeah, we, we, we've criticised Apple TV a lot over the uh, the last six months, so it's give them a thumbs up for this one. Yeah, I think they're finding their feet finally. So the next question, it is mine. So, gentlemen, the year is 1991. We are awaiting those hover skateboards and to eat entire meals in pill form as a sure to come in the year 2000. Marvel Studio hasn't nearly gone bankrupt this time, though. They're about to announce a film. Avengers Assemble. I want you to cast your 1991 Dream Avengers cast. Stu, start us off. This was hard. When you said this to start with, I thought, oh, this is going to be excellent. But then it was actually thinking of people at the right age in 1991 <laughs> that was the stumbling block. So I was going... Racking my brain, I think I've got it. I've got the ultimate lineup. I did put a few extra characters in there as well because of my love of the MCU. But okay, so Iron Man. It's not trying to. This is not trying to cast people who are like what we have now. It's people in the role from the top, from around about that time. So I mean, only, only being what eight years old in ninety one. I mean, Matt even existed in ninety one. Who knows? But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Iron Man. It has to be Tom Selleck. Oh, okay, yeah. Off the back, off the back of Magnum, three men and a baby still not out. It's around about that time, so a bit of suave ladies' man with an edge, perfect for Iron Man. Um, Hawkeye, who I've already slandered, but again, different world. Rob Lowe, great choice. Yeah, again, never never really mentioned anymore. I don't know why. Never really seen. Um, Thor, Patrick Swayze. Okay. <laughs> that's point break. Point break era Patrick Swayze as well. Let's just get it right. Yeah, that's uh, a good choice. And Hulk, I mean, we, we think in 91, so it was pre-CG. So you're going to have to have a little man, big man kind of thing. So the big man, you probably still put a loofer in going there, the, the size of him, but... <laughs> As Bruce Banner, Peter Falk. Okay, yeah. Bit so bit weird looking little scientist guy, but again, still mm-hmm. he still had some appeal to some people. Captain America, Bill Pullman, works perfectly. Um, Black Widow, Phoebe Cates. Superb. See, it was actually, I was getting myself all excited about why this film was never made. <laughs> yeah, I'd quite happily watch this now, to be honest. Um, Nick Fury, I and mean, this was harder than I thought, but then it finally clicked. Sidney Poitier. He would have been round about 50, 60 years old at the time, but that role's not really physical anyway. So, a different different interpretation, but would have worked because he's perfect in, every, perfect in everything. Um, then side characters, I'll, I'll put a bit of a different top, bit different spin on things. Black Panther, obviously, early nineties. Where's your snipes? Got to get him in. Got to get him in there somewhere. <laughs> and Ant Man as Tom Cruise, just for lols. Um, 
but again, 91. When was Cocktail? 88, yeah. I think. So you, yeah. you look at it then, right kind of age. Um, Spider-Man, Corey Feldman. Okay. And the last one I had was, just because I knew we'd talk about it at some point today, Doctor Strange, John Lithgow. Love John Lithgow. Brilliant. Beat that. That's, that's a good cast. I, I would watch that quite happily. Matt, who well, are you going for? I think for? The, my lineup, in comparison to Stu's lineup, shows our age difference <laughs> quite dramatically. Do you know uh, who all them my, people were? I know of them, a few of them, not all of them. <laughs> um, mine's a bit more star studded and a bit more mainstream than yours, though, Stu. Well, so some I've of got. To be fair, some of them wouldn't wouldn't have been big names at the time either. Mm. I mean, Corey Feldman obviously coming off the Goonies, but there'd be people in there that wouldn't have done much. I mean, they've mm. they've gone on to do other things again, like the Avengers was in twenty ten or whenever it was. I've um, I've gone for Tom Cruise in his Rain Man character as Iron Man. Uh, I've gone for Harrison Ford as Captain America. I've gone for Michelle Pfeiffer as Black Widow. Uh, I've gone for Rowdy Roddy Piper as Banner. Banner. But I've also gone for Bruno Sammartino as the Incredible Hulk. Excellent. Um, I've gone... Now, I've really struggled with uh, Fury. And I've gone for an actor that's more famous now than he would have been back then, but he fits it age-wise. So I've gone for Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, yeah. um, Super. As Fury. Um, I've gone for a young... Long-haired Brad Pitt as Thor, because it was around that kind of time, it would have been okay. Mm. Um, and I've gone from Lyndon Ashby, who played um, Johnny Cage um, in the original Mortal Kombat as Hawkeye, <laughs> um, because he's a shit character, so he can have a shit actor. Um, and a sidebar, because I really wanted to fit her in, but she's she's simply not sexy enough to be Black Widow. I want um, Sigourney Weaver as Wanda. I had... I literally had Sigourney Weaver as Black Widow to start with, and then I realised that she's not sexy enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's exactly. But I needed to have a ring because she's fantastic. So, um, so, so I had to fit. So she'll be wonder. I like it. That's that's good. Uh, for mine, I've gone for Iron Man, Eddie Murphy. Oh, different. I'm thinking early '90s Boomerang. Like, remember he was in that tux. He was looking suave. He's got that. That element of comedy to him, obviously, it's Eddie Murphy, so he would bring that to Tony Stark. Yeah, all in on Eddie Murphy for that. Captain America, I've gone for Tom Cruise, so he's the only one I think appears in all three of our <laughs> lists. <Poor> I, <laughs> but he is the archetypal movie star. Even in the early 90s, by that point, we were going on to uh, Days of Thunder and those kind of films. He'd he'd hit the mainstream. like He was on the, the route to becoming the superstar that he is. I've gone for Emilio Estevez as Hawkeye. Oh, good choice. I love Emilio Estevez, so that's, that's class. Uh, Jeff Bridges is going to be Thor. <laughs> mm. And we know that he then becomes the dude and Thor becomes the bro Thor in the, the latest Avengers film. So I thought that that would be quite a good arc. My Black Widow is Laura Dern. Yeah. Someone who just does not get the respect she deserves, especially during the 90s. Like, she did Jurassic Park, and then we didn't see her for a long time, and then she comes back and is just outstanding. 
So yeah, Laura Dern. Uh, Hulk and Banner. I've gone for Lou Ferrigno as well as the Hulk. <laughs> was, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Uh, for Banner though, Robin Williams. That's... And then for my Loki, I've gone for Dan Aykroyd because mm. he's got that that sort of comedic charm to him. Is charismatic enough to pull that off. Thanos will be Robert Duvall. <laughs> and my I've gone for a Fury and Coulson doubleheader. Fury will be played by Christopher Lloyd and Coulson will be played by Michael J. Fox. <laughs> now, I know Fox is young, but like if you were to see Michael J. Fox get killed, you would band together to save the universe. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's my lineup anyway. Obviously, let us know who you think should have been playing who in the uh, the 90s Avengers. I'd quite like to hear that. Get us on the Twitter with your lineups, please. Yeah, and also you you know have to include Tom Cruise somewhere because that's the rule. <laughs> yeah. But it can't be it can't be in any of the films that we've had them in. That's the prerequisite. He's got to play another character <laughs> of the event. So, you know, sooner or later one person's going to have to pick him as Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And then we're just going to have to get to the point where it's just going to be Tom Cruise in every single role. Hmm. So the next question is yours, Stuart. Yes, um, mine is, what is your favourite film dog? Matt? There's only one answer. And it's the dog that ate a whole wheel of cheese. It's Baxter from uh, Anchorman. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the only dog that I know that also speaks Spanish. So um, it has to be Baxter. And um, I, I don't think anybody else will have... No, I won't give mine just in case anybody has it because I don't want to spoil it for them. But yeah, I mean, it was a hard question, this, because there are some... There were like old... I think like the 80s and 90s was the golden age of dogs in film. Yeah, um, our era. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was a lot to choose from, really. But I was, think, I was thinking back to... Um, as soon as I think of a dog in film, it was the first one that came to mind. So I have to go down as my favourite. And the fact that he gets kicked off a bridge by um, Jack Black as well. Yeah, and still comes back to save the day. Um, I've got a few honourable mentions, which I will come to after Stuart's given his. Uh, My actual answer, though, is going to be Samantha the Alsatian from I Am Legend. She was a good girl. She kept Will Smith sane during that film. She did what she needed to to help him. She kept him safe. Like... I mean, that film was just an okay film, but I loved that dog. I thought she was an absolute beaut. So she's my favourite one. Yeah, so I'll go for honourable mention then. I mean, I saw the poster for this just because, I don't know, it was going down an IMDb wormhole again, and um, I saw the poster for Turner and Hooch, and Hooch was what made me think of this question. And then when mm-hmm. I started thinking about it, I thought, I well, hey. you were going to say Turner and Hooch. Yeah. Yeah. I love that film. It's great. I mean, <laughs> it's one of the first films I actually cried at. Not, not, Same. yeah. So, um, there I can remember crying anyway that, that wasn't terrifying like the fly. Um, but now that uh, the, my actual answer obviously has to be Gromit, <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, <laughs> a, dog that, <laughs> a, a dog that goes to the moon and, and, and does everything you could possibly ask for. The perfect dog. So, what, what were your uh, honorable mentions there, Matt? I only had the one, it was, um, I mean, it was, it, it's once again into. The sixth week of the year now, or the seventh week of the year, mentioned in a Christmas film, but it would be Max from um, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. <laughs> Very excellent dog. 
Mm. My honourable mentions, well, one of them is a TV dog, but Eddie from Frasier. Like, that dog had comic timing. He was excellent. Oh, when, when you said a TV dog, I thought it was going to be Clifford, the big red, the big red dog, but sadly it wasn't. No, I, I've never seen that. I've heard of it, of but I've never seen it. I'm a little bit too old for that one. <laughs> and the other one, it's not so much a dog as a whole cast of dogs. Uh, Best in Show, which is a film by uh, Christopher Guest, he of Spinal Tap fame. And it's done in very much the Spinal Tap style. It's a absolutely superb film. And Matt, obviously knowing that you're a big Spinal Tap fan, I would thoroughly recommend you check out the Show. I will. It's basically Spinal Tap at a Crufts event. <laughs> it's nice. brilliant. Really, really good. So the final question is yours, Matt. Nicely put at the end of the podcast, but I want to know your favourite closing line in a film, please. Andy Gillard. Oh, this this is such a tough one. Um, because do you want one that's going to set up the next film, or do you want one that's just going to leave a mention, uh, leave a, a remark, leave a mark even on you? Um, like I was thinking, like Casablanca. I think this is the start of a beautiful friendship. Like it's not my favourite. But that phrase has left an indelible mark on pop culture. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that, even though I would say not everyone has seen that film. So I think that's great. And when you ask this question, for some reason, I immediately thought of our good friend Dave Evans. And he will be screaming, roads, where are we going? We don't need roads. <laughs> yeah. That would yeah, definitely yeah. be his. Like, these are ones that do. they have made a mark on it. But for me, it probably goes to... Got so many on the list here. It goes to the Dark Knight because he's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one he needs right now. So we will hunt him down because he can take it, because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a Dark Knight. Like it's arcing back to the speech that Gordon gave at Harvey Dent's funeral about him being a shining light. And he said that he was the hero we deserved, but not the one we needed, in spite of him actually knowing the truth. Batman was the antithesis to this. Everything about those two characters was polarised. It was the two sides to the same coin, ironically enough. It just perfectly encapsulated that film and just summarised it perfectly. So for me, it's, it's that one. Roads, where are we going? We're going to need roads. Was actually my answer, but I did have a backup just in case because I thought that was too obvious. Um, and it's actually, it's I don't know if it works in audio form because you have to, it's the look on his face as well. Think, why not with a raised eyebrow? But it's the last line in Moonraker when he says, <laughs> <laughs> When he says, I think it might be time to go home, and then her reply is. This is when they're both sitting in the spaceship, in the space shuttle as well. Her reply is, take me around the world one more time. <laughs> and he says, why not? With a raised Roger Moore eyebrow. What more could you possibly want <laughs> in 2021? The Roger Moore eyebrow burning into your soul. And for some reason, that's exactly the first thing that came to mind when you asked this question. <laughs> 
Oh, what goes through your mind, Stu? <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's two for me. One being the like obviously going to say it, and then one being an actual answer. Um, the end of this is Spinal Tap is all. It, it really, really makes me laugh every time. So this is the end of the credits. That pretty much the whole of the credits is still footage as if it's the film. So basically, it's Nigel Tufnell and uh, Marty De Berge just talking about what would what were they going to do after Spinal Tap kind of finishes. If there was no Spinal Tap, what would you do? And the conversation goes, Nigel Tufnell says he'd end up being, he'd end up working in a haberdasher or a chapeau shop. Um, and then they start doing this backwards and forwards where he pretends to be selling shoes. And he goes like, oh, what size do you want, sir? And he goes, seven and a quarter. I think we have that. And like, he's proper getting into it. And then um, Marty DeBerger goes, yeah, but do you think you'd be happy doing that? And then Nigel Tufnell, being the dim one that we know him out throughout the film, doesn't really understand what's going on around him, goes, I, I, I don't know, what are the hours? And then he just cuts. <laughs> and then he just cuts. Like he's, like he's actually being asked if he wants to do it. And it's just funny. It's just, it's it, it summarises that character really well. My actual answer, um, one that I think has a really, it, it's not like a lasting memory in terms of like impact culturally, but it's one that I think just, gives me like a wry smile and a bit of a like a sadistic smile is at the end of um silence of the lambs when hannibal lecter's on the phone to clarice and he goes i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend for dinner <laughs> and it's just very sinister and like we all know what that double entendre is and everything else and i just think it's an excellently put line and signs that film off really well and i mm. think um it's, it's up there for me of course, links into uh, Clarice, the uh, sequel to Silence of the Lambs, being out either this week or next week. The new mm. series, which mm. which looks excellent yeah. as well. Yeah, that quote was on my honourable mentions list. I also had "You maniacs, you blew it up. Ah, damn you! God damn you all to hell!" Like Planet of the Apes original is a tremendous film, and the impact of that. It's that. That twist at the end, I can't remember many films of that age having a twist at the end of that, which probably led us to the likes of Shyamalan doing it in every single film he <laughs> does now. But yeah, I thought that was great. I also had Psycho. I'm not even going to swap that fly. I hope they're watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know and they'll say why she wouldn't even harm a fly. Love it. I, Perkins was just fucking tremendous in that film. It's a shame that his career never quite took off beyond that, but he was great. And the third one I had, Goodfellas. Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with a marinara sauce. I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. I get to live the rest of my life as a schmuck. Brilliant. So I've got a supplementary question for that then. So what do we think about cliffhanger lines? So the two others, obviously the probably the most famous one would be the Italian job. Hang on, lads, I've got a great idea. And obviously we know that that was never then followed up on. Do we like the idea of a cliffhanger without any payoff? Do we like being left with a question or do we want the answer? What, what do we think of that? I'm, I don't think they're ever done or they're very rarely done well. And I don't know why, because there's going to be loads more um examples of this but for some reason the end of lock stock and two smoking barrels comes to mind when they're after mm. they're after those shotguns at the end it's shotguns isn't it they're after at the end yeah. um 
I always just think it's a bit of a, it just feels like a bit of a cheap way of just a studio gauging the reaction that the film gets to then have an excuse to make another. Uh, I, unless unless it's something like the MCU where there's a long-standing plan ahead of what's going on. And then the cliffhanger is just the post-credit scene. It's, mm. it's a different thing. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of it, to be honest. Yeah, I was, even in the um, Batman Begins film, it felt a little bit clunky when he shows him the Joker card at the end of it for, obviously, the, the Dark Knight sequel, which at that point, they didn't even know if superhero films were really going to take off again. That did feel like it was very much tacked on. Uh, the other one that sprang to my mind, at least, was Kill Bill Volume 1. Uh, but obviously, we know there is a payoff to this one. Um, this is when Bill says, one more thing, Sophie, is she aware her daughter is still alive? Do you like the fact that he's given away the twist for the next film almost? No. What do we think to that? I hate them all. <laughs> and <laughs> I was very, very pissed off with that at the time. And <laughs> it's just that it's either teasing something that you know you've got to wait for for a long time or it's teasing something that might never happen. And a lot of the times mm. you don't know which is which. So, and it, it's like the it's like a, really a line, but the end of the second Matrix film, because you know they were filmed back to back and that's coming six months later. But I thought, oh no. So you've, you've ended it like that. And you just go and watch it. You'll understand. Um, it ended like that and you think, oh, for fuck's sake. It was just annoying. I mean, the film was great anyway, but it was, it was just annoying more than anything else. And there's no need for it. And they, like Matt said, the MCU does get does it right because the whole thing was planned like 20, 30 years in advance. And mm. me watching it back now over the next five weeks, I've watched four of them now for the first time. And you can absolutely tell how, how slick and how perfect they are as a whole rather than just individuals. Um, but yeah, I don't like them at all. No, because like, you mentioned in that then, the one that sprang to my mind was the Pirates of the Caribbean. The second and third films were filmed back to back. So we knew that the third one was coming before the second one was even released. And that ends with him being eaten. So it's not a quote that sets it up, but he's, he's eaten by a whale or something. I can't remember. Um, and it's automatically that you know there's a third film. So really, there is no jeopardy now. You've told us that he's coming back. We know that he's going to be fine. I, I didn't bother watching the third film because, to be honest, I hated both of the first. <laughs> two. Don't even don't even know why I watched the second one. It was shit. But yeah, I, I do kind of agree with it. I don't like that. We'll just shoehorn something in just in case we need it. Mm. So next up, we've got a picture pod. After watching Army of One on Prime. As Stu said, it just recommended all these really obscure Nick Cage films that I'd never even heard <laughs> of before. So we're going to be watching 2017's Inconceivable. Described as a mother looking to escape her abusive past by moving to a new town where she befriends another mother who grows suspicious of her. It has got four stars on Amazon, so I'm expecting great <laughs> things here. <laughs> it's starring Nicolas Cage, obviously, Gina Gershon and Nicky Whelan, who you may remember from the excellent Left Behind. <laughs> oh, baby! <laughs> obviously, if you've got any stories you want to tell us, answers to any questions that we have asked, 
if you've got any reviews of films you want to tell us what we need to watch or what we've already watched and what you think of them send us an email to cagefightingpod at gmail.com and we shall read them out or send in it via mp3 and we can splice you in make sure you're following us on the twitter at cagefightingpod uh, this is where we will tell you what films that we'll be watching for the podcast. We put out re- our requests for your questions and we'll pose our own. Uh, this week, we asked you about your opinions on Zack Snyder's Joker. And the response was pretty much 50-50 that, yeah, he looks like the clown prince of crime, but he also looks like a piece of shit. So, <laughs> I mean, I think part of that is down to the fact that uh, obviously, there's that hangover from the Suicide Squad, which we discussed earlier. Uh, whilst you're at it, obviously, listen to the podcast now, so make sure you've got us subscribed. Uh, that way, you will not miss a single episode. And if we can just ask for 10 seconds of your time, please leave us a review and a rating. It helps with the algorithms, and it means people like you may find us as well. But thank you very much for joining us once again this week. We do appreciate your time. If you like what we do, please let others know. So for this week, Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Stay warm, kids. Ta. Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Watch Peanut Butter Falcon. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. What are you going to do? Are you going to kill me, Mr. J? What? I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to hurt you. Really, really.